1: Good morning, everyone. It's Sunday, January 4th, and here's the latest news. NBC reporters in London and Washington are standing by, and later we hope to contact our staff correspondent in the Dutch East Indies. First, however, we turn to
2: Britain. Go ahead, London. This is London. John McVeigh speaking. London today heard from Singapore that the British forces in northern Tarak have fallen back again. Japanese kept up their pressure during the night and followed the British closely. The British say they inflicted heavy casualties on the enemy. The Japanese yesterday made a landing at Weston in British North Borneo. Japanese ships off the west coast of Malaya were bombed last night, and 24 enemy planes raided Singapore. American and British planes based in Burma attacked a Japanese aerodrome in Siam. They shot down two fighters in the air and destroyed four planes on the ground. British bombers in Britain last night made another attack on the docks at Brest, where the Scharnhorst, Nisenau, and Prince Eugen are still held. Mr. Eden is expected to follow his radio talk today with an account to Parliament of what he saw and did in Russia. It isn't known how detailed an explanation he can give, because the Germans are probably even more eager than the British public to hear what Stalin and the British government decided but members of Parliament will want to hear as much as possible about Russia's part in the Allied plans. The contacts between British and Russian fighting men and the visit of Russian trade union leaders to Britain are like Mr. Eden's trip, evidence that relations between the two countries have changed a lot since last June. Whenever officers and men of the British and Russian navies and air forces have got together, they've worked on the basis of easy understanding. And it seems likely that when the Russian trade unionists Finish their tour of British factories, they'll have some new ideas about what the people of this island are really like. The Colonel Blimps of the Munich era, with their ideas that hardly extended beyond their own club doors, have been submerged, or at least eclipsed, by the realization that Britain must depend on lives for their very existence. Russia and America, too, have their Colonel Blimps, although they don't call them that. And things like the twenty-six Power Declaration, and the announcement of unified command in the Pacific a significant proof that their views don't matter so much anymore. But General Brownrigg, writing in the Sunday Dispatch, today points out that some of the old-fashioned Colonel Blimps still exist in Britain. He says he was surprised to meet some members of a London service club who criticized the British commando raid on Rommel's headquarters in Libya. The General said there was a shade of doubt as to whether this type of thing was quite according to the accepted rules of war. General Brownrigg says... What has been done at Rommel's headquarters can be repeated elsewhere. The man at the helm of Germany may even feel that his own headquarters are not so safe as before. He may begin to wish that he hadn't started the game of playing rough. The British have been taught time after time the lesson that, in any area of war, the side that has control of the air will win the battle. From France through the Battle of Britain and right down to Libya, the point has been proved and proved again. Fighting in Greece and Crete? Proved that when air control is opposed to sea control, air control wins. Some experts, like General De Gaulle, believe that the real success of an invasion across water lies in the air and not the sea. That's why recent invasion exercises to test the defenses of British aerodromes are worrying the press and public here. The exercises are said to have proved what a lot of people suspected that aerodromes in Britain aren't heavily enough defended to hold out against an intensive attack. The protection of aerodromes has been a joint affair conducted by both the Army and the Air Force. For a long time, observers have demanded that one force or the other should take over the job of protecting the fields and do the job right. The fact that in the Far East, the loss of key aerodromes has opened the door to enemy military victories is giving a new note of insistence, the demands for unified airfield defense. In Britain itself, there are so many airfields and Air Force units are so scattered that if the Germans did get a few of them, an invasion attempt, the loss might not be vital. But the British have seen how a toehold can develop into a foothold, and the prospect isn't a pleasing one. Some people here are beginning to feel that as the marshalling of the Allied forces increases, the probability of Axis defeat, so does it increase the possibility that Hitler may make a neck-or-nothing attempt to conquer the British Isles. Major Oliver Stewart, the Sunday observers air expert, warns that most people in Britain don't bother to carry their gas masks around these days he says, rumors have come in, the assembly of large quantities of gas bombs of the Germans. It would be appalling if at this stage of the war, we were again to be surprised by the ruthlessness and treachery of the enemy. This is John McVane in London, returning to the National Broadcasting Company in New York.
1: And from our New York newsroom, here's a bulletin with the date marked Cairo, Egypt. British headquarters today raised its estimate of the number of Axis prisoners taken in the fall of Bardia to 7,000 of whom 1,000 were said to be German. Clearing of the battlefield is continuing, a Communique said, indicating that the final total might be still higher. Earlier estimates had placed the number of prisoners taken in the Bardia zone at about 5,000. Advanced British units operating in the Agadabia zone, more than 300 miles to the west, were reported harassing German and Italian forces trying to make a stand there. And now for news from the other side of the world, we take you now to San Francisco.
0: From the San Francisco newsroom, we take you now to Batavia. Hello, NBC. This is Sidney Albright speaking in Batavia, Java. Time is 9.36 Sunday evening. Today's most important piece of news in the Netherlands East Indies is the appointment of General Wavell as Commander-in-Chief of all Allied forces in the Far Eastern area. General Wavell is known here and is highly respected as a military leader. Eternally capable of assuming command of the Allied operations. Like General Wavell, Admiral Thomas C. Hart, commander-in-chief of the United States Asiatic Fleet, is also well-known to the people of this country. Only a short time before the Japanese launched their attack on the Philippines, the Royal Netherlands Navy, C.N.C., visited Admiral Hart in Manila. The head of the Indies Army, General H. Turporten, was conferring in Manila with General MacArthur and Admiral Hart when his predecessor... General Barrett's was killed in a plane crash in Batavia. At that time, the portman was chief of staff. It will be recalled that the Dutch are, to a great extent, responsible for the continued efforts towards the formation of a solid ABCD block, which they had advocated long before the trend of events in the Pacific reached the showdown stage. Consequently, it is easy to understand the enthusiasm in local quarters for what is actually the fulfillment of their own hopes. It is pointed out that in this case, the democracies do not wait too long to act, which is a favorable indication that future emergencies will be handled with the same promptness, a matter of utmost importance in this war where so much hinges on the single word "time." Further details of the new allied command apparently are unknown here, or else are being kept a closely guarded secret. In any event, there is a great deal of speculation as to the location of the headquarters. Some say it is likely that General Wavell will collect Malaya. whereas others are of the opinion that Java is the logical place, because it occupies the key position in this section of the theater of war. Nevertheless, there is wholehearted approval here for the plan, in fact, for any plan which brings the Allied nations closer together. Local observers are wondering where the Dutch commanders in chief will fit into the picture. Although General Tuporten has only been in command a short time, He has already demonstrated his ability as a master strategist, in addition to the fact that he was chief of staff under General Berencourt from the very beginning of the Indies defense preparations, Very little need be said about the ability of Admiral Helfrich, a naval commander-in-chief who was directly responsible for the Dutch assistance in the operations with the British in Borneo and off Malaya, as well as with the American forces at Davao to say nothing of the independent thrusts made at Japanese supply lines by the Dutch Navy, which, so far, are the only important successes in all the Allied operations against the Nipponese, a fact that is acknowledged by the press throughout the world. The latest communique of the Netherlands-Indies fighting forces reads, there was little enemy air activity over the territory. Only at a few points, Japanese aircraft were observed. No bombs were dropped anywhere. In the northwestern part of the archipelago, a Greek steamer has been bombed by Japanese aircraft. Particulars about damage done to the ship have not yet been received. End of the communique. Another expression of loyalty reached the government today from the Achi warriors in North Sumatra. They have offered to organize guerrilla bands to harass enemy landing parties and, and parachute Any attempted landings in Ottomese areas would find hard going. Against these unsubdued jungle fighters, I now return you to the National Broadcasting Company. We now return you
1: to New York. Again in our newsroom in New York, we bring you a late bulletin from Moscow. The Soviet Information Bureau declared today that the Russian advance is continuing on all fronts, and that a number of additional populated areas have been reoccupied and much German equipment has been captured. And now for news from our own nation's capital, we switch to Morgan Beatty in the newsroom in Washington. Tomorrow, Congress begins the battle of production, the undramatic but critical
3: battle of this war. Congressmen gather for the second session of the 77th Congress, well aware of the importance of this phase of the war effort. Most of them remember the confusion of our production effort in the First World War. They recall the inflation and the panic spirals that followed. The first bill of importance on the Senate calendar takes into account the difference between 1942 and 1917. It's a bill for drastic control of prices almost immediately. Late in the last session, the House passed a price control bill, a measure generally recognized as a mild one. The administration had asked the House to permit a price administrator to license business and in this way control civilian production and prices. But there was no war in the Pacific then. So the House rejected the administration's idea and instead provided a board of review to keep a tight rein on the price administrator. Now, with war raging on all continents and the United States in the struggle up to the hilt, the Senate will consider a far more drastic measure. It provides for a price administrator who will in fact become a sort of economic czar for the duration of the war. He could license business. He could set ceilings on prices of almost anything. This price administrator would be the Second World War's counterpart of Barney Baruch, the industrial czar of the First World War. Debate begins on the measure Wednesday. Senate Banking Committee has already approved it. If the bill goes through, and it would appear that it will prevail over the milder House measure, Leon Henderson would probably become the nation's price czar, despite charges that he has surrounded himself with radical people. Henderson's many appearances before congressional committees in the last few months have impressed conservative members. Some who would have opposed him last fall are among his staunchest supporters today. They believe he has a firm understanding of the first problem to be met in the battle of production. And that first problem is inflation. Henderson has already taken preliminary steps to control the situation. The bans on automobile and tire buying are a part of his general plan. Also, the restriction on wool for civilian use. He has limited new wool consumption by civilians to 40% of last year's sales. This order is intended to give the woolen industry the go-ahead signal to manufacture 20 million uniforms and at the same time to prevent the escape of wool required for those uniforms into civilian channels. But this is all preliminary. It's only part of the picture. The Department of Justice is analyzing war contracts. The purpose seems to be to prevent a flock of war millionaires from springing up before production controls are completed. Congress is expected to receive a $50 billion budget from the White House on Tuesday. Next point to decide will be how much of this we should pay now and how much war we should fight on credit. The president will probably call for more taxes, perhaps for payment of about one-fourth of the cost of the war as we go. The purpose behind this higher tax percentage would also be anti-inflationary. The more money Congress takes away from us in the form of taxes, the less we'll have to spend on our own needs. And the less we spend, the less likely we are to bring on the confusion of inflation. The Battle of the Philippines continues unabated. There are no new announcements from the War Department this morning. But even the Japanese foresee a long struggle before they subjugate the island of Luzon, the stronghold of the Philippines. Tokyo newspapers are warning the Japanese public today that guerrilla warfare probably will continue for some time. That's one way to explain the Japanese need for large troop concentrations in the Philippines After the Japanese claim a victory. For those troops will be needed. Not only is there a possibility that General MacArthur can hold out for a long time, but also the Filipinos themselves are not easy to whip. That's all for now.
1: And that's the news up to this moment. These have been reports by John McVeigh in London, Morgan Beatty in Washington, and Sidney Albright in Batavia, Java. This is the National Broadcasting Company.